What's up, everyone? My name is John Campione. I am a chiropractic physician, a movement and neurology enthusiast, a lifelong student, and I'm also a rock tape instructor. Welcome to the Rock Tape Podcast. We are setting out to make rock tape the industry standard for kinesiology tape, instrument-assisted soft tissue instruments, and mobility gear. I want to thank you for checking us out here. I've been asked a lot uh, while getting this podcast ready, why a rock tape podcast? Well, I have the honor and the privilege to work side by side with a lot of industry leaders in their fields. We have the best instructors and I think the best education around, but I really wanted to spotlight the individual talents of each instructor. Maybe you wanna take one of our courses and it's not in your immediate area, so you have to travel it uh, to go see it. Who do you wanna go see? Who are you gonna spend the time, money, and uh, travel expenses to go see to take one of our awesome courses? What instructor would be the best to fit your style and your interests based on what you do. So you honestly can't go wrong with any of them, but maybe you specialize in feet and you'd like to learn from someone who also specializes in feet. Well, we've got one of those for you. So I really wanted this podcast to highlight our awesome instructors and let a lot of you know who these people are when you're going to see them at some of our seminars. So I hope you take a lot of great information from this. I hope you reach out to some of these instructors if you have any interest in some of the things that they do. And I really hope you check out rocktape.com and take a look at some of our educational courses coming to you very soon. All right, I'm here with Steve Capobianco and Ethan Christworth. Steve holds a BA and MA in kinesiology and exercise science in addition to being a doctor of chiropractic medicine. Steve is a practicing sports chiropractor. He currently holds a diploma in rehab from the American Chiropractic Association. In addition to that, he is a certified chiropractic sports practitioner. Ethan received his undergraduate and graduate degrees from California State University. He has earned his PhD in athletic training from Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions. He is also a faculty member at Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions. His current research is the epidemiology of musculoskeletal injuries among Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters. Ethan, Steve, welcome guys. How are you doing? What's up? How you doing? Hey, John. Good to have you here. So we are... Here to really talk to you guys because honestly, I consider you guys the guru of uh, rock tape education, and I felt that this was a really good time to kind of start uh, this venue, this uh, this uh, type of media for uh, people to listen to us and kind of understand where we come from. Because one of the biggest things that I preach when I'm talking to people is that our education is very unique and very different from everybody else. Everybody, there are a lot of people that do tape. There are a lot of people that do tools. Uh, movement courses, but we try to do things a little bit differently. So um, one thing I want to start with is really how you guys started with the company. So Steve, how did you really start uh, with Rock Tape in the beginning? Um, <clears throat> I told this story so many times and it's probably evolved into something that it really wasn't, but here's <laughs> what I remember. Let's start with that. And it's not as a, a great story as, as people may think. It was a right place, right time <laughs> type of scenario. Um, I was practicing in Northern California at the time and the founder of this uh, product was in my uh, neighborhood and I was the local taping guy. He had created this product and he wanted to get some opinions. So uh, we found each other. Uh, he uh, gave me some of his product. At that time I was having some difficulty with uh, a previous product that I was using that wasn't sticking on the patients that I was applying it to. 
it wasn't giving me the outcomes that I was looking for. So it really showed up at the right time. And what he did was is he uh, gave me some product. I tested it. It did exactly what he told me, told me it would do. Uh, so I called him back in and I said, uh, I had an idea that I wanted to share with him in respect to how I would apply the tape, which was somewhat different than what I was taught. Uh, and uh, we joined forces at that time and I became the medical director uh, from that point, creating the education and, and building the team that I've done over the last few years, which I'm really proud of. Excellent. A match made in heaven, right? Yes, yeah. let's say that. <laughs> Ethan, how did you start with Rock Tape? So I was lucky enough to come on. Um, I was introduced to Rock Tape uh, in about 2015, I believe it was. Uh, somebody who I did my PhD with um, was teaching for Rock Tape at the time, and Rock Tape was looking to build upon their education. I was coming off working with the Olympic boxing team at the time, and in between uh, working with Concordia University and another university. And this was just a chance for me to uh, get my foot in the door with starting to teach continuing education. So uh, I audited a couple courses. Uh, I did some co-teaching for a couple courses with him, and um, back then our bringing on instructors was a little different. He said, hey, we're looking for instructors. Would you like to be a part? Um, so I got on, and I got to meet uh, Dr. Capobianco in Denver, and everything went well from there. Yeah, I think that's how I kind of started. I said, hey, you want to do this? Yep, I kind of do. Yeah, that's the way it was. <laughs> so one of the biggest focuses really to talk about today is uh, just how the uh, education has evolved. Because I know when I started, we were at a certain place, and it's just been growing exponentially since then. So um, Steve, how did Rock Tape really go from, as you alluded to in your introduction, from just being a product that could be sold in stores to being really an education system on how to use that product? Yeah, it it it's evolved. Let's let's start with that. That it has changed over the years, and we can we can have a conversation about that. But ultimately, it started off with a a great product. Uh, Greg Van Injuries, who's the founder and developer of this product, uh, just put something together, and like he would call it, he says he he developed a better widget. Uh, and what that meant was is that this tape actually did what we expected it to do. Um, when I tell a patient that the tape should last three to five days, I would expect it to last three to five days. And his formulation of the adhesive combined with the combination of the cotton and nylon weave, uh, he's really just put together a product that most people, when you inquire, say that it's just a better product. So that started off, you know, the relationship on, on a good foot. Uh, from that point, uh, like I said, I, I called him back in and I said, I have a different model of approach. And at that time, uh, and as most people know me as the the fascia doc, uh, which is my Instagram handle, uh, I, I I was applying tape to be able to, in my mind, manipulate the fascial system. Uh, I really didn't know if that was the case, but I was using my understanding of the fascial system to be able to navigate the body as a manual therapist. And then I just would apply tape along these fascial lines as I was learning uh, to be able to influence someone's pain or change their movement capacity. So that's how really the, the structure and the model of education began was taping for movement, not taping for muscles or taping for pain. Um, and it's evolved over the last few years to being less of a mechanical tool. And, and as most people recognize it now, more of a neural sensory tool, how we're using the tape to be able to communicate with the brain to be able to change the same parameters, which is pain and movement. 
so that's kind of like how it's how it's changed but ultimately it's 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 living in the camps of a fascial system as well as a neurosensory system excellent yeah um Ethan, you could speak to this too, because you're real, real big on the research, you know, with your PhD. But um, you know, where has the research come with that kind of neurological approach? And I don't even think we have to discuss it exactly with tape or even our tools, but just the manual techniques. Is we saw this paradigm shift from manual techniques becoming or starting from you know digging into people, the breaking up of things, the releasing to more of a we're doing something more to the central nervous system. Where do you guys see that even just in the research, how that evolved and in, in something that we started to undertake with rock tape? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what we what we haven't seen in the research is really the biggest question. So it's almost going backwards. The majority of the research that was original with uh, kinesiology tape or manual tools, um, anything that really is out on the market today is highly questionable because we've seen it through case study report and we've seen the outcomes. We just don't know why. And this is why Steve has really taken it to more of the, the neuroscience and has been diving deep into the neuroscience because what we're seeing through the neuroscience is what we're extrapolating from that data is that there are some changes, there are some affective changes, there are some mechanical changes, but a lot of it is neurosensory because we haven't seen the data to suggest that tape is facilitating or inhibiting a muscle, uh, direction means something, along with manual therapy tools as well, we haven't seen the data that uh, you know, scar tissues being broken up. Um, so it's not really, you know, what's the data saying, it's what it's not saying, I think. And I think a lot of people have really dropped down this rabbit hole of, you know, where are we today in practice? We've been teaching all these things through education as far as manual therapy techniques, mobilization techniques, and what mechanically they're doing to the body. And we just haven't seen it. So what we're trying to do is best educate people on the neurosensory system and why changes may be occurring based on not seeing the data. So we're hoping that we can continue to develop more rock tape centric types of information so we can become a little bit more conclusive about about what we're doing. But until then, it's still it's still out there. It's still theoretical in nature, right? So we still have to understand that and we get many people that come to the courses that want to talk about the hard evidence and it's hard to say. So case study, very low level of evidence, but as far as randomized control trials, large cohorts, it's it's harder to see. It's harder to see. Yeah. Do you find that it, it's uh particularly difficult to, you know, discuss with those people about the hard evidence? Because um, I think one thing that uh, I, I've actually seen you firsthand do is really to take some of that information and apply it, apply concept to it and say, well, this is how it would work if we were to use tape or if we were to use tools. You know, it all depends on, you know, who are you lecturing to. Uh, going to, let's say, a physical therapy school, uh, those students are taught that uh, it's all about the evidence-based practice first. And we're trying to suggest that evidence-informed may be a nice route to what we're trying to discuss and educate. Um, like I said, evidence-based practice is based on large cohort, you know, randomized control trials, systematic reviews, and it's hard. It's hard to, to show the evidence with that. And to define that term that you just said, evidence-informed. So we want to take what's out there. So evidence-based practice is, you know, your clinical expertise, what's the best research say, and, and the outcomes. So we would like to say that, you know, based on the research and based on the evidence, how can we move forward conclusively by treating somebody with a tool? A tool may be a piece of tape or maybe a manual therapy tool. But we, wanna, we don't want to just say that 
you know, if we did a PubMed search, you do like a clinical query search, we call it, and you put in those Boolean terms, you know, tape and injury or tape and uh, uh, rotator cuff syndrome, you're not going to see a lot of big randomized control studies to suggest that tape or tools can do conclusively what this says. And when people are coming out of school, whether it's chiropractic school, athletic training school, PT school, OT school, um, many, and I'm a professor too, we push that, hey, the evidence isn't there, therefore we should not be trying that. And that's really not what we're trying to educate. We're trying to say, hey, you know, if you're having outcomes with this, as part of your paradigm of treatment, then you should be using it. Yeah. Do you think that that's more of a too specific of a search when you were uh, describing those those search parameters? Do you think it's uh, good for anybody listening to this to maybe uh, widen their search a little bit to not necessarily say, okay, well, I have to search about tape or I have to search specifically about tools? Well, if you do that, then yeah, if you widen your search and you're widening your mind, and I think you're coming up to what we're trying to suggest is that evidence-informed would probably be a better route as far as clinical outcomes. When you be specific, and we teach at, at universities, we teach to be specific when you're looking for something. If a, if a 16-year-old male football player with an ACL injury comes in, you're going to search that as far as best outcomes related to what you're trying to achieve. Uh, that's just the way education is today. We would love for it to be more of a 30,000-foot view and say, how can we help this patient? What are the tools that we can use, and how can we have our outcomes? Yeah. Steve, were you going to say something? Well, I, I wanted to add in, but I, I wish it was my own statement, but it's not because I get to live <laughs> in a world of people that are much smarter than I am, uh, Ethan being another example of this. But uh, an individual named Paul Coker, one of our physio instructors from the U.K., uh, said this once uh, when we were teaching in London that we should have the evidence to guide us, not shackle us. Um, and what he meant like by that. what he meant by that was that if we're always leaning on the evidence to be able to direct us, um, then we we may get lost because we're going to be stuck at certain points because the evidence cannot provide us the information that we're looking for because we're dealing with something that's a lot more complicated than we like to think, which is the human body. So to collect the data and answer the questions that we're looking for sometimes is impossible. Like as, as a good, good example, uh, until the last 10 to 15 years, we really didn't have a, a very good understanding about small nerve fibers uh, and what they were really providing until we got the technique of microneurography that allowed us to actually look at these structures or look at these fibers to be able to identify how do they respond to touch. So the point is, is that if we're gonna wait until the research catches up to be able to allow us to perform certain interventions with people and be effective, then we might be um, missing the opportunity. So um, as Paul says, we're not gonna allow it to shackle us, but we will allow it to guide us. And to take the, the concept that Ethan says is about the 30,000 foot view, I, I do take probably more advantage of that opportunity to say, well, what is the pain science community telling us about touch um, and how does how can we extrapolate the evidence that uh, is ge being given to us that certain types of touch can affect certain parts of the brain these parts of the brain are involved with pain perception uh, pain modulation um, and and movement so could we not use the information and extrapolate uh, concepts to be able to feed a theory that we're presenting. And I think it's fair to be able to do that as long as it's safe and effective. 
now we're starting to collect data in case studies and case series to be able to feed the researcher in the laboratory to be able to test these these concepts. Uh, I think it's it, it's not so far-fetched to really take that model of approach. And this is really a model that we lean on because when it comes to manual therapy, uh, if we really looked at the evidence, if we're going to stick with evidence, um, most manual therapy will wash out as ineffective. So, yeah. but we all we all observe and experience that uh, we're we're seeing changes in people. But do we really understand why, and can we get better and be more specific? And that's what really the platform that we're standing on. So, research is a is a slippery slope, as you guys probably both know. When you're yeah. when teaching to a group, you're really you know having to have the a different conversation to be able to um, achieve the goal in communicating how we use the evidence to be able to inform us, not necessarily shackle us from uh, accomplishing the goal that we're looking for. Excellent, yeah. It's kind of what Ethan had alluded to uh, a little bit earlier is we're kind of working backwards is we're almost uh, trying things out in the clinic and, and you know making up these case studies and then that's almost provoking the research studies that we're seeing come out. Would you agree with that? I would, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So how... You know, from a clinician's perspective, that's something, you know, we see that a lot in our, in our cl classes. We have chiropractors, we have PTs, uh, we have massage therapists come into our, our practice. And what they want, always want to know is how does this work in my clinic? So you guys individually as practitioners, how has this information really changed the way you've practiced throughout the years? Ethan? Thanks, Steve. I'll take that. You <laughs> 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 throw that off on me. Um, you know, to me... To me, it's just, it's educating the patient. So if the, if the patient, you know, if we're working on some stuff and I find that, you know, adding some tape or using a tool in the body can upregulate certain parts of their system and they can feel more stable or, you know, the tape or tool can downregulate certain parts of their body and they can feel more mobile, then we just use it. And it's really touch and go like that. You know, uh, within Rock Tape Education, you know, we leave it, uh, we leave it wide open like that. So... It's, it's more about the concepts and if we can use tape in, in certain areas and, and achieve something and we can show that patient that they can achieve something better or they can freely move or be pain free or less have less pain based on a small technique, then that's a win. So, you know, we, we show a plethora of techniques of taping and tooling in our coursework, but when it comes down to it, ultimately it comes down to... Uh, the practitioner educating the patient on what they should or should not be feeling or what they could or could not be feeling and showing an outcome. So test, retest, everything's a test. And if we can have an outcome with some tape, then so be it. And we're not saying that tape cures cancer. We're not saying that tape makes me taller. I know that for a fact. Tried. But what we're, saying, <laughs> what we're saying is that if you can have an achievable outcome and you can show that outcome, then that's a win. So we can move forward. And again, I even tell people, you know, I, you don't want to live on the tape like, you know, like somebody lives on ibuprofen for pain control. We want to move forward. So the tape is just an adjunct to the therapy. And once we can show that that therapy's uh, been achieved or somebody's doing a little bit better, then we'll move forward from the tape. You don't want someone walking out on discharge with tape on, right? Possibly not. Yeah. I think rock tape would probably like that, but maybe, maybe well, good point. education. Yeah. <laughs> Steve? Well, uh, I'm going to just dovetail on what Ethan was talking about is the, the it's a tool and we have to remember that it's a tool um, and if you combine it with and I, I'll use the term that's taken from Adrian Lowe 
therapeutic neuroscience education, combining the tool with education, and this, this applies to multiple types of intervention, the evidence is indicating that if we can educate our patients, our clients, our athletes, along with uh, a, an intervention that helps to, them to connect the dots, the outcomes are better, right? So let, let me give an example. Uh, someone that has lower back pain, the evidence, if we're gonna look at what pain science is telling us, is that the evidence is indicating that that individual has very poor representation of that part of their body. Um, so what that lean, leads to is poor movement mechanics, increased pain, um, uh, well, those two things in particular. So if I could use a tool like tape and apply it to their skin to be able to have a better conversation with their brain and improve their representation, their awareness of that party, part of their body, and n now I have a captive audience saying, yeah, I feel that tape in my back, I feel my back better, I know where it is in space, uh, and now I can take the opportunity of that awareness um, experience with what the science is telling us saying, well, here's what we just did. We've had a conversation with your brain, we've improved your, uh, your awareness of that region of your body, which leads to a decrease in pain, uh, an improvement in your motor um, ca capacity, uh, and now they start to understand what we're trying to achieve. And now they start to understand, well, why does that corrective exercise of cat, cow, or bird, dog, or whatever we're asking them to do, they start to connect the dots of why that matters. So then we get a more compliant individual. So the combination of a tool like tape, which is a, a great sensory tool, something that they can see and feel, combined with the education leads to better compliance and better outcomes in our opinion. And the evidence is saying that that's the case, that education plus sensory you know, stimulation can have a, a, an augmented effect. And that's really where I live is I get to use a cool tool like tape, which is low cost and very effective, uh, providing a stimulus for three to five days with education and I get a win. So I think uh, for me, it's been revolutionary in my practice of be able to give me something tangible to give them mm -hmm. that they can mm -hmm. feel and leave the office an extension of my hands if you will yeah and i love that analogy too the conversation with the brain i always describe an injury is your your that part of your body doesn't get to talk to your brain very well so it's like really helping them it's like bringing two long lost friends together that 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 had a big argument years ago that you know you're getting everybody back in the same room and and talking it out um, one thing you alluded to there was really kind of what the patient should expect from the tool. And I think that what we're trying to do is really shift the paradigm and try to not replace how people use tools, but almost just improve it. Um, whether it be tape or whether it be uh, our blades, our, our instrument-assisted soft tissue uh, tools. And one of the things with the instrument-assisted tools is that uh, a lot of people know them to be, I scrape this painful area until it becomes, you know, black and blue. And a lot of times that really pushes a patient away. It uh, is not something a patient necessarily wants or maybe didn't even expect that too. And it changes their perception of their treatment, even the perception of their clinicians. So this kind of leads us into a very important concept that we talk about in our courses called the biopsychosocial model. You guys want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, I'll, I'll start, Ethan. Um, I'll tape can be used to be able to um, create a biological effect, a psychological effect, and a social effect. Um, and so the, 
the latter two are the ones that most manual therapists don't feel really confident in, um, albeit we live in this space all the time. We're dealing with an individual that has a psychological and emotional connection to their painful experience, their movement you know, capacity. And so we lean on the, bio, the biology of what we're doing, the, the physiology of what we're doing. We're applying a strip of tape or using an instrument to be able to mechanically affect the system. But we need to consider, and I think as manual therapists, we need to consider what, what are we doing when we use a tool like this and how does it affect the, their psychology, their cognitive and emotional uh, attachment to the intervention and the experience. So let me just kind of give you an example of how I communicate this is that if I'm coming in with an instrument, a stainless steel instrument, steel tool that looks like brass knuckles, I'm holding it with, with, a, with a fist grip and I say, you know, I want you to lay down, face down on this table and, and hold on because I'm going to go in and start treating this area that's, that's painful. I think yeah. we could we could have more tact and 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 uh, and control in how we approach someone to better communicate that here's the tool I want you to touch the tool I want you to feel the tool this is what's going to happen to better educate them so then we can manage their psychological status yeah. as well as their emotional status so we can influence their nervous system more effectively oh. so I think we could just oh. approach them with more control. Almost even letting the patient hold the tool and, and feel it and touch it and even put apply it to their skin as well too, right? As well too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So just, just being more uh, careful on how we approach it versus just being the mechanic and working on the tissue. Sure. You're working sure. you're working with a tissue that's attached to a person. And this is what I say quite often. And that person has got multiple experiences, emotional attachment, uh, a history that we need to consider when we're intervening with them with whatever tool you have available to you. Yeah. Ethan, anything to add? Well, I mean, multiple people have used the word threat. Um, mm. I just saw a pretty good Instagram post from one of our new rock tape instructors where uh, she's a pediatric uh, physical therapist. and Name drop. The child was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer, Jennifer Hutton, Jennifer. thank you. <laughs> so, you know, she has a pediatric patient laying down on his back and he's uh, holding the Mohawk tool against his chest. And I thought, man, what a better way yeah. to introduce you know, cold, hard metal <laughs> yeah. to a, to a, to a, a patient. So, uh, well, Steve said this when we were to, in Mexico not just to recently, cut you off, uh, Ethan, yeah. but you, you mentioned pediatric patient too. You know, I think a lot of times we almost treat pediatric patients that way, but there are adults that need to be treated that way as well too, because it really reduces that threat. Sure. That haven't really that. Yeah. They're completely on threat. And you know, when you're in pain, you're on threat for the most part. And you know, you're working off the lower centers of your brain and you're working off fight or flight and you're not really getting to the, that neocortex, that, that moving idea of your brain. Um, so this idea of threat keeps a lot of people in pain. And, um, you know, Steve said this and we're in Mexico, uh, people are fearful of the dark because you're fearful of the unknown. And I think the same goes for treatment. People are fearful of treatment because they're fearful of the unknown. Uh, you put stimulation on somebody for the first time, they're going to probably be in more threat than they are, um, you know, not because they don't know what that feeling is going to be like. So yeah. the less and more, the less is more approach that we've been pushing for quite some time and educating people on is, is really what's new and current uh, within the rehabilitative model. Yeah, it's almost like when you, um, you know, touch metal and you pull your hand away immediately. Was that hot? No, it actually wasn't hot. You just didn't know what if it was going to be. So you had that initial reaction for it too. 
So, yeah, that trickery, right? That instant response. Yeah, it's just your brain kind of tricking you. And I think that's something that you guys uh, made a really good point is that you know somebody's going to come to you with pain, they're on threat. So they're going to be cautious no matter who it is. Even if it's someone they've seen for a number of years they and, and they trust, uh, they're still going to be on some kind of threat. And we just got to have to really uh, make sure that we're giving them as much comfort as possible. Steve made a really good point with the way that, that the tools look. You know, you don't want to, you know, ball up your fist holding that tool and just start coming at them with that too. So, um, one of the newer products that we've got um, rolled out last year um, in the tools category, but kind of getting uh, much bigger this year is is our Mohawk. And I, I absolutely love the Mohawk. The feel of it is fantastic. But the most unique thing about it is really what's very unique to tools in general across the board is the attachments. Um, and the attachments really go along with that discussion of the biopsychosocial model and reducing that threat. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about how the attachment idea came about and the development of the different uh, attachments that we currently have. Yeah, the attachment came about... Uh while I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine and at the same time as we were discussing about making the instruments that we have more diverse, uh, that doesn't mean adding to the instruments where we'd have 30 different instruments, you know, as part of our arsenal, I wanted to make the instrument I had in my hand more diverse and, and allowed it to do more things. So at that same time, as we were having this conversation, I was, uh, putting my phone, my, I had an iPhone, into a new carrying case. And I recognized the carrying case of my colleagues was different than mine and had more advantages. I was like, man, I want something like that. And they're like, well, you can just get this carrying case and just switch it out with your phone. And really, that's the, the genesis of yeah. what came down to be these attachments that we attach to the, the instrument itself. Uh, allowing the instrument to do different things by applying different in different attachments. And so the attachments that we have with the Mohawk, uh, and this is first to market that I know of that's really done this, is that what I have access to with Rock Tape, which is just, I'm so fortunate to have a guy like Cullen, uh, who's our uh, product guy, that I could say, Cullen, I want something that will attach to this instrument, this current um instrument assisted tool that allows it to do X or Y or Z. And he goes and sources it and figures out, figures out how to do it. So I ultimately wanted for the first uh, set of attachments was one to allow us to better apply uh, novel touch, sensory uh, stimulation, uh, low grade stimulation. And so we came up with this comb attachment and the comb attachment um, forces the practitioner to be more gentle, to not have to add much more force because I think, and maybe I, I'm speaking for you too, but I know most of my colleagues in my space generally are tissue-based, mechanically minded, and they feel that they have to physically uh, get a hold of the tissue that they're treating. Let's take the psoas as an example. The psoas, if we're truly treating the psoas, would take quite a bit of force to be able to get uh, adequate uh, contact to. Yeah. Um, so I think people have intestines too. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. the tendency is for people to overtreat to put more force than that's necessary. Which, with someone that's in threat, like we just talked about, could potentially complicate things. So this attachment forces people to be lighter because if you add uh, a heavy hand to it and start adding more pressure, it'll create a noxious stimuli, which is the opposite of what we're looking for. 
So the, the comb attachment is unique. It's definitely different. It's going to force people to, to really reconsider how to intervene because it's going to really force the person to be less heavy handed. Um, yeah. The other attachment, which I think is really cool as well, is a silicone sleeve that attaches to the instrument as well. And mm -hmm. this instrument allow this this attachment allows the the tool to be uh, grippier to the tissue that we're intervening with, which is the skin and fascia. So um, similar to a Dyson pad, if you guys have ever used a Dyson pad, the best uh, description of one that I can give you are those pads that we have that we can put on our dash board and just put our phone on and our phone will stick to it. Um, this is the same type of product really just applied into an attachment that, it, that connects to your instrument and it yeah. allows us to create better shearing of the tissue, which improves the, what the term that we use is tangential shearing of the tissue, which improves glide, improves mobility and potentially can help with uh, nerve entrapments. Yeah. And I would invite anybody yeah, would to invite anybody you know, take a look at that <laughs> sleeve and not get the Dyson pad and just wrap it around your tool because, because that thing fits it perfectly. And perfectly just the handling that tool. I personally, I love the, the dry the, treatments. The dry one treatments. of the things that the, the, the thing silicone sleeve is really good for, uh, Ethan, is uh, nerve entrapments. And we started to add that into some of the curriculum, right? Yeah. So we're starting to think about... Um, dermatomal nerve, nerve entrapment. So not just uh, large tunnel syndromes that we've seen, uh, which we do talk about in our coursework, pronator terrace, tarsal tunnel. Uh, but we're starting to think about more of the dermatome situations that now we're more familiar with based on the research. So cluneal nerve distribution and saphenous nerve distribution and uh, where and how this may be causing some irritation or some pain. So again, taking us a little further away from the, the mechanical model of, you know, is it a joint, is it a muscle, is it a tendon? Well, what's going on neurologically at the skin level? And if we can offload some of this nerve tissue uh, based on where it is and based on direction, we may, be able, maybe, we may be able to have an outcome. And then what we could do further than that is that after we've offloaded and gotten an outcome, then we could place tape in a certain direction too um, to potentially have more of an outcome and a long-lasting outcome. So again, the biopsychosocial model. We still talk about the bio, but I think what we're think I think what we're we're educating people on a little bit more is that uh, joint, muscle, tendon, bone, the things that we can see on imaging, the things that we can tangibly touch potentially, we can step back from now and say what's going on neurologically at the skin, at the dermal level, at the subdermal level, and at the fascial level. And I think these tools address those uh, respectively. And I think a lot of people come into our courses, they've kind of got the bio down. You know, that's what they've right. been doing for most of the years. They're coming for the psychosocial aspect, that neurological aspect as well too, right? Yeah, and you know, you you, t you typically have one per class, at least I do, that, you know, the man in the back with his or female in the back with their arms folded and they're ready <laughs> to they're ready to fight or they're ready yeah. to, yeah. you know, basically question. And that's okay. And, you know, hopefully if you're a good instructor, you can answer these questions uh, respectfully and say, what you've been doing for the last 20 years is great, and if you out have outcome, that's great, but what else is there, and what else can there be, and you know, where is the current research taking us today? Yeah, I think it's important to know, too, you know, coming to one of our courses is not meant to change the way you practice. It's just meant to augment the way you practice. We really want to help you just get better. It's, it doesn't mean you have to completely stop doing everything that you've already been doing. 
Yeah, the way I think it, it also could be talked about is just trying to demystify uh, what's been in practice for so long yeah. with some of these products. So uh, let's demystify and let's have a conversation. It's not a top-down lecture. Our way is the only way. You should mm -hmm. do it this way. Is that we're just trying to make suggestions based on uh, what Capo calls medically unexplained symptoms. We found some decent research to suggest that many people – you know, aren't having the outcomes based on the mechanical approaches we've been doing for so many years. So mm -hmm. what else can it be? Yeah, excellent. Great point. So Mohawk is really rolling out a lot more uh, this year. Uh, we're going to add that to uh, a four-hour course added on to the already eight-hour blades course. So uh, that's something that can be added on for the weekend or you can take individually. What else is coming out with uh, our education this year? What's new this year? This year, uh, without revealing some of the secrets that uh, <laughs> we're going to be unveiling as the year progresses, and we've got some cool ones that I'm super excited about, it. but one of the new uh, additions to our arsenal is going to be the Rock Floss Bands. Um, yeah. Floss Bands have, have been around. Uh, we're seeing some great anecdotal evidence to suggest that it has great effects on improving mobility of specific areas of the body, potentially centrating joints or improving joint um, articulation, uh, and then also helping with pain. So, you know, we're getting a lots of that type of evidence to indicate that this product can can help. Uh, the the empirical evidence is still lacking, um, but what we're getting is that this product is safe and effective and so we're starting to put some parameters of how best to use it so we're going to be integrating rock floss into two of our current curricula uh, our fmt performance which is our advanced taping curriculum where we're going to show how we use rock floss in conjunction with a, a technique that we call tweak taping to be able to influence the joint by joint approach to to movement, uh, as we understand that you know certain areas of the body uh, are more stable than other areas that are more or less mobile, and so this relationship of areas that are stable uh, uh, buttressed by areas that are mobile can be addressed, but with the tools that we have available to us. And in this course, we'll talk about how we could use floss to improve mobility of areas that are lacking in mobility and then to use tweak taping concepts to be able to start the process of improving motor control to um, set the stage for improved stability. So that's one course. And then we're also going to introduce it uh, as part of a case study that we'll teach in uh, FMT Blades Advanced as well. Excellent. Yeah, floss is one of the most exciting things right now for me because it's one of those things with tweak taping too. You have a roll of tape, you have a floss roll in your gym bag or, you know, wherever outside of the clinic, like you could do a lot with that stuff. You know, if you come across somebody who might have something going on in the gym or anything like that. Um, so, all right. So, uh, anything else you guys want to add? Anything you, uh, clinical pearls you want to throw in there with, uh, some of our education? I would just like to add to the listeners and one, I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to kind of share what we, uh, both Ethan and I believe in, which I know My I'm pleasure. speaking to My the pleasure. choir when it comes to someone like you. Um, but, but here's what I really want to get across. And Ethan has already expressed it, but if really sharing the idea that we're not uh, teaching to the group as much as having a conversation with the groups that we, t that we talk to. Like that, and yeah. what that like means that, is that it, it's more of this um, uh, best practice model 
informed by what the evidence is giving us, uh, taking more of a 30,000 foot view of what we're doing as manual therapists and can we improve our outcomes with a better understanding of certain parameters that we might not focus our attention on, which are, you know, what are we doing psychologically? What are we doing emotionally, not just biologically? I'm, I'm just so proud of what we've put together uh, to be able to better inform uh, our colleagues uh, with the tools that we have available to us that are low cost and effective. So yeah. uh, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to share what we believe in. Yeah, man. Well, we have such a unique perspective, and uh, I think that goes to what we call our open source uh, uh, information is this is not meant to be a protocol-based system, and it's a concept that can really uh, help with anybody. Ethan, were you going to add something? No, that was good. Steve uh, stole all my thunder. So everything. That was excellent. He wanted to say he loves me, and he just, he's a little bit shy. He's shy. <laughs> yeah, I'm shy. <laughs> You know me well. Yes. Yeah. Ethan, well. <laughs> no, I definitely, I, I want to thank you too, John, for the opportunity. Um, you know, the more we can educate people on uh, what's currently out there and, you know, even even Floss and some of the other tools that are, that are coming out, um, people usually uh, learn how to use them via YouTube or via friends at the gym. But That's a good point. How yeah. can we better relate them to what the research is telling us and how we can safely use these products and move forward? Yeah. Instead of somebody using a product and then having some uh bad experience with it and then bad mouthing the product so come to yep. the coursework and uh you know we have a lot to offer for you yeah come to learn have a lot of fun ethan if someone wanted to take a course with you where are you teaching next uh i have las vegas this weekend you'd be a late sign up but if you're uh, listening <laughs> and want to come to las vegas come on down um i'm also going to be more along the west coast for the first quarter so uh west coast university uh western university and I think I'm also out in Bakersfield, which is kind of more a little more Central California-ish. So yeah. um, staying here, and then I, I hmm, I'm not sure where I am after that. So you don't go out east where it's cold, do you? I try not to. <laughs> I try not to. I'm a, I'm a flip flops kind of guy. I, I if I could teach barefoot, I would. Yeah. Um, you so can. I'm I'm lucky that way. I can right. Just lead it now back. That we're into, now that we're into now we're into grounding. I guess. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Ethan, where can we find you on social media? Uh, my Instagram handle is dr.kreis, Dr. Christworth. But if you type in some of those letters, I should pop up there. <laughs> um, I like to post a lot about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm a medical director for uh, the International Jiu-Jitsu Federation. I'm avid and practicing in jiu-jitsu, and I also post a lot about rock tape and what's currently out there today. That's why no one comes to your uh, seminars and actually argues with you because you're in, into BJJ. Steve. I like to bite ankles. Yes. <laughs> Steve, where can someone find you if they want to take a course with you? I'm not as delicate as Ethan, even though he can probably kick my ass. But uh, <laughs> I, I travel multiple places, cold and warm. Uh, I'm heading up to Canada in a couple of weeks. Uh, so if anyone wants to travel uh, abroad and learn, uh, come to Canada. I'm going to Taiwan and... <clears throat> February and wow. Russia wow. and Slovakia and some other cool places. So oh, I, wow. I get to travel oh, wow. a little bit more abroad. Uh, I am uh, conducting uh, uh, or I'm going to be hosting a conference. The Rehab to Performance Group is having their inaugural uh, conference this year uh, at Project Move in Denver. Awesome. Uh, awesome. For February 24th and 25th, I believe. Awesome. Um, awesome. So look at R2P 
uh, rehab to performance group. And so we'll, I'll be able to share along with some brilliant minds at this conference, I'll be able to share some of the rock tape principles and concepts uh, as part of uh, 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 how I conduct them in practice. So it should be a cool experience. Yeah, Project Move is a great facility too. That's your that's where you practice out of, right, Steve? Yeah, that's where my facility in Littleton, just uh, southwest of Denver, Colorado. Excellent. Where can we find you on social media? I'm a fascial geek, so you can find <laughs> me uh, anything that says fascia. You'll probably see my uh, mug on, uh, but fascia doc, uh, F-A-S-C-I-A-D-O-C is my handle on, on Instagram. I share anything I can learn about the fascial system and what it does to the, the brain and movement. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. Uh, great discussion. I hope everybody takes something from it. And if you have any interest in seeing these guys and taking a course with them, please go check out rocktape.com and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks John. John.